Hello everyone, welcome to episode 7 of season 6 of the D1 Only podcast presented by TAP, Thoughts, Actions and Progress. My name is Eduardo Villalpando and I'm your host and I want to thank our sponsor TAP for making this possible. Also thanks to all the listeners for being here with us. Today we got ourselves a very special guest, Hunter Reese. Thank you for being here man and welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, finally, I was able to have you here actually a couple of months ago. I was trying to get you on, but like with scheduling and everything, it was like so hard. But finally, you're here, man. So yeah, Hunter was a NCAA Division One student athlete at the University of Tennessee and is now a professional tennis player. During his time in college, he was the 2014 NCAA champion, as well as being a three-time All-American, four-time ITA Scholar-Athlete, three-time All-SEC selection and two-time University of Tennessee Male Athlete of the Year. While as a pro, he has a career high of 112 in the ATP doubles ranking. So congrats on a great career so far, man. Yeah, thank you, man. You you did your homework. You even knew about the uh, Male Athlete of the Year, Volskers. Man, you already know, man. Mr. Tennessee, yeah? <laughs> Mr. Tennessee. That's right, yeah. The Mr. Tennessee Big Orange Heart Award. <laughs> So, uh, blue chip recruit coming out of high school, basically could have gone to any school you wanted. What was so special about Tennessee that made you go there? Um, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I, I don't feel like I could have gone anywhere. Um, there actually were, you know, a large number of schools that I had reached out to that I was interested in um, my junior year and really got no response or kind of a lukewarm like, oh, cool, thanks for your interest. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. But, like, you know, it was kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say surprising because um, I don't really know what I expected. But looking back, um, yeah, I wasn't maybe as highly recruited as, as maybe you would think. Um, but as far as Tennessee goes, um, at the time, they were number one in the country. Uh, they had a great team. Um, I really kind of what I wanted out of a call out of my college experience was to go somewhere where I could play low in the lineup and then work my way up and hopefully by the end of my career be playing, you know, one or two. Um, and Tennessee kind of fit that bill. I felt like I could go into that team and play low in the lineup, five or six. Um, and, you know, if, if I kept developing that eventually I wanted to play, you know, be one of the better players in college. Um, and then on my visit, I really fell in love with it. I, I thought I really meshed with the team well. Um, I felt like the coaches – were invested in me. They did a great job with the recruiting process of just making me feel wanted, um, which I think goes a long way for a you know 17-year-old kid. Um, and then I, I thought that the coaches would develop me better than anywhere else that I was interested in at the time. So I think all those factors went into it. And I mean, I remember calling uh, Sam Winterbottom was the coach at the time. And I called him the day after my visit. And I was like, Sam, I'm I want to come here and uh, I still had four more official visits left. So I talked to my family and we decided that I would take all the visits, but I basically I was putting everything up to the Tennessee test at that point. Like was anything going to even uh, make it a decision for me? And, and it never really did. So I knew as soon as I got home from my visit, that that's where I wanted to be. Man, it's, it's funny how you phrase that answer, man, because you were like, yeah, I don't think I could have gone to any school you want. I wanted, but I ended up going to the number one school in the nation. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it is weird, right? But but I mean, a lot of the West Coast schools just didn't give me the time of day. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's because I was from the South. And so maybe the coaches respected my results a little bit more or, or what it was. But yeah, like a lot of the a lot of the West Coast schools, even like Florida, I didn't even get response. I messaged the Florida coach multiple times, never heard back. Um, yeah. So there were a couple schools that just I don't know if it was didn't have room for a player or what but 
that's was, uh, that's crazy. I was a little man. spurned. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like a dream school? Of course, aside from Tennessee, that you were like really looking forward to going there, or maybe like hearing <laughs> back from them, and maybe you never yeah. heard back from the coach ever. Um, it's not that I never heard back from him, but but growing up, my dad went to Georgia, so growing up, I was a huge Georgia fan. I mean, like I'm sitting in my parents' house right now, and I'm looking at a big like picture of Uga on the wall. Like Georgia is <laughs> everywhere in this house. Um, so growing up, I mean, I wasn't that good until I was about 16. And I remember when I was 15 years old, um, I started taking it a little bit more seriously and started taking some private lessons with my coach. And he asked me one day, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to play college tennis or, you know, kind of what, what do you want out of tennis? And I said, yeah, I want to go to Georgia. That's my dream. And he laughed at me and he goes, okay, but, but realistically, like, do you want to play somewhere in college? Like maybe a D2 or D3 school. So Yeah, I mean Georgia. Georgia was my dream school growing up, and then through the recruiting process, I, they they did recruit me, but um, I didn't think it was the right fit for me once once it was time to decide. Yeah, man, I'm actually looking at your tennis recruiting right now, and I'm seeing that of course I think it was like Tennessee, Baylor, Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama, and Auburn. Yeah. Right, those were the schools that you were eyeing. Yeah, those were the last six. So I I took official visits to the five schools there minus Alabama. So I went to Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, and Baylor. And I took three unofficial visits to Alabama. Okay. And do you have any advice to all these players in high school who are like late bloomers? Because of course, there's always the case of the players who are like top of the class, uh, blue chip mm -hmm. recruits, like since they're like in 12 and unders and things like that. But there's also guys like I can see your development here that in 2008, you were ranked 100. And then in 2011, you were ranked 11 in the country. So it was, yeah. it was like a huge boost. I imagine like not only confidence wise, but also just in terms of being able to choose like not, not only thinking of D2 schools, as you were saying, you know, basically thinking mm -hmm. of like big, big programs in the country. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, um, I guess kind of have a mindset of what your, what you want your goals to be. So, um, you know, you can go to a school where maybe you play lower and, but the team is really good and might have a chance to win conference championships. Um, if you, you know, if you think that you're, you have the potential to play at a, at a division one school, like a high, high level division one school, you know, look into walk-ons. I mean, talk to the coaches, maybe, Maybe you're not going to be a scholarship athlete. The one thing I would caution with that is you're not always going to get the attention that some of the recruited players are. Um, so that would be one like cautionary tale there. Um, but as far as like late blooming, I mean, be proactive with your own recruiting. Like that's what I did when I was, I broke my wrist my junior year of college and I couldn't play tournaments for a couple months. And I mean, I was sending, I was sending emails out. I mean, almost every week to like 10, 15 programs a week um, and just sending messages out. Hey, this is this is who I am. Um, this, these are my grades. These are my results. This is my ranking. But like, you know, but I've gotten a lot better over the past however long, you know, a year ago I was ranked this. Now I'm ranked this. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember doing that. And that was kind of a, at the advice of my mom. I mean, she, she was like, just you got to put yourself out there. Um, so that's what I did. And then. We also visited a lot of schools uh, when we played tournaments. So my mom and I would, maybe we would leave a day early or 
or stay a day after and make a day trip to a college that was in the area or two colleges that were in the area of the tournament or on, on the way to the tournament, something like that. So I would say the more proactive you can be, the more the coaches will will at least have you on their radar. And then maybe they see you and they go, okay, like, yeah, this kid has potential and they start following your results uh, a little bit more closely. And then they can kind of see the development if you really are, you know, getting better and better at a rate, you know, higher than your peers. Okay. And this is like a hypothetical is a scenario. So tell me what would you do? Like, let's say you're not that highly recruited and you're getting offers from low division one schools where you're never going to be competing for an like a conference tournament or an NCAA championship appearances or mm -hmm. anything like that. Would okay. you rather go to a D1 school that is like that or to a Division II school that is highly ranked and you get do get those appearances in the big tournaments? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. I think for me... I think for me personally, I would want to go to the to the smaller division one school with the potential, like with the idea in my head that I can go and change the, like change it a little bit, change the culture. And maybe we can win our conference and get an automatic bid into the NCAA championships. Now, maybe we won't have a look at winning, you know, realistically, you're never going to have a chance at a, at a smaller school to win the NCAAs. I mean, the, the reality of it is you like the, the Waffords and Winthrop's and, you know, coastal Carolinas of the world are not going to be yeah. the USC's, the Tennessee's, the Georgia's. Um, but you can have that cool experience of winning, winning your conference, which is a huge accomplishment, you know, going, playing the NCAA tournament, having a chance at playing, you know, the individual singles and doubles tournaments. I mean, that's another thing. If you're the highest ranked player in your conference, you, um, or region or conference, I don't know what, but you can go play the individual tournament which is a cool thing. Um, and then the flip side of it is the NCAA two, the, you know, if you have a chance to compete for a national championship at the NCAA two level, like that's a, that's a huge accomplishment as well. So for me personally, I think I would, I would go the smaller division one and with the hopes of making the tournament and making the singles and making the doubles. Um, but I think that's personal. That's, that's an individual decision that everyone would have to, to come to. Yeah. Plus as well, I feel that, It's such a great experience for low-level D1 players because, I mean, let's keep it like 100%. Like most of these players don't really have pro aspirations. You know, the ones that are playing like in the, yeah. bottom, in the bottom of the lineup, like four, five, six, at like these smaller schools in Division One. Yes. But at the same time, you do get that exposure. Not, I wouldn't say exposure, but that experience of playing against big schools like i don't know let's say you play cornell away so you play in the cornell facility you play at michigan state yep. away so you play at, like all these great schools which is like a great experience for right. a player to say that yeah i was a division one student athlete maybe i was not in results wise i was not a great student athlete but i did get to live all these amazing experiences right yeah 100 100 yeah so and you always yeah. have the opportunity If you outgrow your program, you always have the opportunity to transfer. Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, did did that ever come across your mind, or you were like, "Nah, fuck it, I'm going to a big school"? Uh, no, I was, I was <laughs> always. I mean, what, once I was once I was sixteen, seventeen, and started having good results at the national level, um, I was like, "Nah, I'm going." I always wanted to go to a school. I mean, this is gonna this is 
a comment that has not aged well. I always wanted to go to a school with a good football team. And, like, I mean, obviously Tennessee's terrible right now. <laughs> but, like, historically they've been really good. Like, game days are like nothing you have ever experienced. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I always wanted that experience too. Like, I grew up with SEC football, and I wanted that. I wanted to experience that. So um, on the non-tennis side, that was a big deal for me too, was I wanted I wanted to have, like, that – the big athletic department uh, feel yeah. where like I was kind of a king, you know, if you're an athlete, <laughs> yeah. if you're an athlete at, at one of these schools, like you're walking around with the gear and stuff, you know, people look and they, yeah, it's, it's a cool feeling. Yeah. Oh my God. There's an athlete over there. Oh my God. And she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey guys. So you think Don't you, ask me what sport I play. <laughs> so you thought, you thought you were all that while walking around campus with the Tennessee. <laughs> I was a big dog, man. Can't you see that out of me? <laughs> Nice chess no, movement. No. Nice chess I, movement. I did. I, I bet there wasn't a single day that went by that I didn't have, you know, my athletic stuff on. But no, I didn't. I didn't. So you wouldn't. You you coffee. wouldn't rock the Sarah or Calvin Klein or something like that to campus. You will always rock the no. the Tennessee gear. Always, always Tennessee stuff. <laughs> I knew some some of the guys on the team. They would wear jeans and stuff to class, but that just wasn't me. I mean, I I got done with practice and I showered and just put sweats on. I went to class and then yeah, I was. So I was never like. I guess I it's. Never I guess it's safe class. to say that your entire closet is orange, right? Uh, it was. I, I branched out a little bit more now, but okay. yeah, it it was. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful shade of orange for a long time. <laughs> Did the level in college tennis surprise you when you arrived, or were you expecting it to be that competitive? Uh, it didn't surprise me at all. I thought, uh, if anything, I probably respected it too much. Uh, when I got to college, I mean, I was on a team. So I redshirted the first year I was there, uh, the first semester I was there. And I was on a team with J.P. Smith, Ryan Williams, Tennis Sangren, And, I mean, all these guys, like, obviously, Sangren's doing extraordinarily well. But all these guys have been, like, right outside top 100 in singles. So, um Yeah, that was just what I was training with every single day. And then they all turned pro that year. So my freshman year, um, I think I just respected it almost honestly too much. I had a couple ranked wins in the fall and I was kind of like, oh, dang, like I'm, you know, I can compete at this level. Like I deserve to be playing high in this lineup, that kind of thing. It, it kind of took me a minute almost to get to that side of it more so than like going in and thinking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rock the world and win NCAA as my freshman year or anything like that. Before we continue with another episode of the D1 Only podcast presented by TAP, we want to talk to you about our sponsor, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress, who provide the opportunity to any athlete around the world to build their own mental program. TAP, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress offers self-thought manuals focused on the athlete's mindset growth. They give athletes the opportunity to create their own mental program, and these are manuals adapted for different levels at an affordable price. Everyone go check out tapmindset.com as well as the Instagram page, tapmindset. For more information. Okay, how many how many matches per semester do you guys normally play? Dual matches. Yes. You mean? Yeah, like in the um, spring. And I'm not not counting like the NCAA championship or the conference yeah, championship. Yeah, like regular season. Yeah, whatever. just like so regular had, season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had uh, we had 12 SEC matches, and I would say we probably scheduled. 10 to 12, yeah, 10 to 15 um, non-conference matches. 
Okay. So and, what what is that? 20, 25? Yeah. And 25? did you get the opportunity to play against these, last we were previously speaking about them, like the lower level Division One schools, did you get the opportunity to play in that? Or was it like, or was the, the coach at Tennessee like, nah, we're not going to play no. you for this match? We, we, we played, we played a lot of, I would say like the mid-majors, lower level um, Division One schools. We played them the first couple matches of the year. Uh, we always had a, like a weekend where we would play like two or three double headers. Like and, which schools? Um, gosh, we play. I mean, we played Memphis. We played ETSU. Um, what was? Oh, we played Eastern Kentucky a lot. Do you play played, Tennessee Chattanooga or not? No, we never did. We never played UTC. No. Um, Okay, but you did get the point is that you did get to play some of those matches a year. Oh yeah, always. Yeah, every year we did. Every year. And fast forward to I think it was your 2014 was your senior year, right? No, that was my junior year. So NCAA champion in 2014, All American, yeah. wildcard to the US Open. Just talk to me a little bit about that year in general and just what a great experience was to play a Grand Slam as a junior in college. <laughs> yeah. Uh Yeah, well, so I would say with that that spring season when Michaelis and I were playing, um, I mean, I, I remember, and I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it, but I remember, like, we were so locked in on NCAAs. Like, so we, we played in the fall, we played All-Americans, and we won it. We played National Indoors, and we lost in the finals. Uh, and then we played the dual match. We spent the whole year ranked one and two in the country. But I just, and we took, like, one or two losses in the spring season, And, but I just remember, like, yeah, we were focused on the team. We had all that. But when it came to, like, he and I, you know, we had our individual. I mean, we were on a mission for NCAAs. I'll never forget, like, how hyper-focused. Like, we just both thought we we were the best team in college, and we deserved to win NCAAs. Like, just that was it. And uh, so that was so special, um, like, just winning and Really, other than the finals, we kind of steamrolled our way through that tournament. And then the finals, we, we played 7-6 in the third with Kevin Metka and Peter Kobel. But uh, it was just like this huge culmination of, you know, of everything that we had done for three years now. Of just like we were the best team. We knew it. And now everyone else like had to admit it. There was no, you know, we won, won All-Americans, final national indoors, and won NCAAs. Like, period. There's no better team. Um, so that was really cool. And then, yeah. And then going into the, the U S open, um, I actually didn't know that I would get the wild card because Michaelis was, was Latvian. So we couldn't play together. Um, and so I, I didn't know if I would get it with Cobalt or not. That's who I applied with until like a couple days before. So it was, you know, it was a nice surprise. Um, you know, honestly going up there, I didn't necessarily believe that I belonged there. So, Um, I mean, it was amazing experience and like one that I definitely think I played in 2019 as well, the US Open. And I think having that experience of 2014, like really helped me in 2019. But at the time, um, I kind of, I was up there and like a little bit starstruck, a little bit like out of my element. Um, and we played a really good team in Lodra Mahood. I think they made finals of French Open that year. Uh, we played them first round. And they, they chopped us up pretty good. Um, but at the same time, having seen that level 
uh, it was really encouraging to me because realistically I didn't have a shot that year. They were, they were just better, but the level was attainable. Uh, I remember walking away from the match thinking like, yeah, they're, they're better than me, but they're not so much better than me that like, I never have a chance to play at this level. Uh, so that was, that was really encouraging for me. Man, I don't really mess with that rule that they don't give wildcards to international players. I don't, yeah. I don't really mess with um, that. What do you think? Look, there, there's two schools of thought on it. The one is like, this is a U.S. Open. It's a wild, it's, we're giving all of our, all of our, uh, wild cards to Americans, blah, blah. Like there's that side of it. Um, but the other side of it is if you really want to showcase college tennis, then you have to give it to whoever wins. Um, so I, I tend to find myself on the let's showcase college tennis side. And if you win, you you get a U.S. Open wild card. Um, but the I, I don't get to make the decisions for the USDA, unfortunately. So <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they're doing it how they want and they are notorious for or maybe not making the best decisions with their wild cards, but <laughs> that is a conversation for another day and probably not publicly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, man, and it's crazy to me because actually I think that when Mackenzie McDonald and Martin Redlicki, when they won the NCAA championship, I think they also played Mahout and Herbert in the US Open, which is like funny. I think you're right. Yeah, which is like funny because like they... NCAA champions are are playing Mahut and they're putting up a fight. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you trash talk when playing or not? Uh, what do you define as trash talk? Just like, I mean, just like the definition of a college tennis player. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't do it. I don't do it now. But in college, I was nasty. Like, I was, uh... You talk shit like crazy, huh? Yeah, man. Like I was wild. <laughs> I would say I would scream and shout and yell. I mean, I was, I was the guy you wanted on your team, um, but you hated me if I played against you. So, and, and you know, I don't know. I, I think I probably crossed a couple lines, but it is what it is. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Did you ever get into trouble for it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Do you mind sharing the story? I, uh, Uh, I just used some inappropriate language okay. directed towards the crowd. Uh, and, uh, okay. Away. Yeah. Away, right? <laughs> away. Yeah. Oh, away. shit. And uh, word got back to, I, I don't know, I think they told the coach and the coach told our coach. And so I had, I had a little bit of, I had a little bit of punishment for that, a little bit of punishment running. So, but you were playing, you were playing high in the lineup by this point, right? So yeah, I actually I played um, I played two singles my freshman, sophomore, and senior year, and I played one singles my junior year. So I ended up playing playing high all four years. Okay, uh, so let's transition a bit from tennis into what you were doing in college, which was your major kinesiology, right? Yep. So yep. kinesiology you... with a minor in philosophy. Okay, so. You graduated in May 2015. So is sports medicine or topics related to it something that you gravitated around a lot and that's why you decided to choose it? Or was it just that as a, as a high school kid, you were like, fuck it, I'm gonna just do kinesiology? <laughs> I think, I think uh, 
that's a pretty shitty major to, to say fuck it for because that was pretty tough. There's a lot of science in that. <laughs> um, no, no, you hit it on the head. When I got to school, I was really interested in sports medicine, um, just athletics in general and the body. And like, it was kind of, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say selfish, but like a little bit selfish. I wanted to know all this stuff about my body because I, I did want to go pro. And so this was all going to be like good, a good like base of knowledge to have while I'm traveling or just like to kind of to know what's going on within your own body and kind of have that nutrition side and the biomechanic side and the, and the, uh, sorry, the anatomy and physiology, all that stuff, just to have a basic level of understanding in, in, in all those topics. So that was my mindset going into it. Um, I realized pretty quickly that I didn't like injuries. Uh, I don't like looking at them. I don't like being around them. So, uh, so sports med was, was not going to be the route for me, but, um, then I looked at going into like physical therapy and that was kind of on my mind for a little while. And I've transitioned away from that, but that was, that was where my head was at at, at that time in my life was kind of, I wanted to go like a PT route, um, towards the end of my college career. So and I stayed in academics. So where, where have there been times at future events where you know more about kinesiology and sports medicine than the doctor on site? No, I don't think so. No, never. I think <laughs> no, I think the the only I don't know, the only related topic it would be like it when they're talking, I can use their lingo. Like I can understand what they're saying and sometimes I'll say stuff and I can see on their face like, "Oh shit, like like this guy is smart. You, you think you're cool yeah, for like, saying oh, that." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like I can, you know, if they say if they start pointing to a muscle and just say this muscle right here connects to that muscle there. And I can kind of, I can name the muscles and like, Hey dude, like I know what you're talking about. Like, let's just, you know, let's, let's talk. Like we both know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so just two more, two more questions before we get to the final segment of the podcast episode presented by tap thoughts, actions and progress. Uh, mental health is something we really care about in the podcast. I feel like it's really important for student athletes to have a clear mind in order to be fully productive. I mean, considering they're doing like school, weights, practices, traveling during the weekends, etc. Do you think players realize the importance of it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, I think, uh, I think it's, I think that and nutrition are the two most underlooked aspects of performance. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think they're they're extremely important. I think mental health is is extremely important, and and not even just with the buzz topics like depression and anxiety and all that, but just like I'm not downplaying that. That's obviously extremely important. But the other side of it is like you you still may not be performing at your best even if you aren't you know clinically depressed or or have anxiety or anything like that. Like there are so many different facets of mental health and mental well-being and all that 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 are just so important and like i know in my college career i knew nothing about and even now like i mean <clears throat> i'm learning more about it it's something i'm super interested in um and i still am probably just like barely scratching the surface um so yeah i, I think absolutely uh the majority of athletes um probably don't aren't aware of the of the importance of mental health, I don't think. And when would you say you started focusing on this aspect of yourself? Was it like during your time at school? Uh, it was gradual. I think, I think I was 
introduced to it uh yeah honestly during school uh i went through a lot of uh you know a lot of stuff um i started seeing uh i started seeing a um a therapist um my sophomore year and i was dealing with just a lot of like personal shit and like trying to figure out you know who i was and i don't know like a lot of issues that like kind of came out of nowhere i felt like so i was overwhelmed by it um and then i started seeing a sports psychologist um and that did wonders for me i think performance wise and then i think it was just gradual like over time you know i just heard something that kind of piqued my interest and you know then like now i'm i'm i've gotten really into yoga the past like three or four years and for the physical side like it started for the physical side like i love stretching and like kind of the lightweight body work body weight type stuff um but then it was just like the mental side of it and and uh then that led me more into like meditation and stuff like that and so it's just been super gradual over the past yeah six or eight years i would say um and uh it all started in college but it's it's funny like how far it's come like back then i would have called you know yoga and meditation and all this stuff kind of like woo woo stuff it's you know doesn't doesn't help you or anything so yeah. yeah actually it's great that you say that man meditating and all of that there's actually i think i saw a quote by big sean like yesterday or two days ago that it was like you know how like for all the listeners like when you shower you feel like so clean you know that's like kind of what meditating does to you like man that's uh that's so accurate that that hits it on the head yeah that's so accurate and you don't realize i guess like building on the same analogy you don't realize that you're dirty and sweaty until you're actually clean you know what i mean like you can go in a shower and be like oh my god i smell so bad i need a shower but you don't realize that with the mental side of it i don't think and, and sometimes you get done with a with a high quality meditation session and you're just like wow like i didn't know that i needed that for how long do you meditate do you do like 15 minutes or more oh uh, it depends um in the mornings i'll get up and i'll do between Usually it's something light between 10 and 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's hard, eh? No, because like a lot of people don't understand. Like for like for the people who have never tried this, like it gets to like yeah. in like if you do 10 minutes, it gets to like minute four, minute five, and you're like your mind is so like all over the place. So you gotta like yeah. sort yourself out and get back like focus again, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I'm not yeah, and I wouldn't say that I'm like you know 20 minutes of just like in the void of blackness, you know, like I, I'm definitely, my mind's definitely wondering and, and it's, it's a, it's an eternal practice. Like I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll never be perfect at meditating. I think that's kind of the idea of meditation. And so, yeah, I, I'll do anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes in the morning. And within that 20 minutes, I might get, you know, three minutes of just like emptiness, but still that's, that's three minutes I didn't have at any other point. And then other times I might, ch I might carve out, if I do yoga, I might do 10 minutes on either side of that, or maybe it's not, it's not terribly often, but sometimes in the afternoons or evenings, if I have some time and I just, I'll just lay down and put some, something on that's not gonna, like, I don't, I'm not trying to fall asleep or anything, but put something on where I can kind of try to get into another, um, another mind state as well. So. Um, man yeah. it's great that we're able to have like this conversation because there's like a 
like a stigma when you talk about like mental health, seeing a therapist, yeah. like crazy people and things like that, which is like completely wrong, you know, and I'm glad that we were able to chop it up for the listeners and for them to understand how important it is. Oh man, I agree. I agree 100%. I think, I think it's been really encouraging in the last year or two or longer maybe, but that, that stigma is starting to change. And like, that's encouraging. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's not there, but it is changing where I think, especially in the realm of high performance, um, whether it's athletics or, you know, business or any, any highly competitive, highly, uh, performance related field, um, I think that this like mental health side of it, it is starting to to become relevant. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Uh, so this is the last segment of the podcast. It's called the D15 presented by TAP. It's basically five rapid fire questions. You can answer them as fast as you can, okay? Okay, hit me. Atlanta or Tennessee? Tennessee. Athletics or academics? But don't tell my mom. <laughs> athletics or academics? Uh, athletics. Favorite college memory? Mm, clinching well winning in civil ways now and winning in civil ways hands down most listened artists at the moment a guy named billy rafool other than tennis related what profession would you like to attempt <laughs> uh i don't know nothing nothing <laughs> you, you didn't Nothing. practice any other sports as a kid? Uh, yeah, I played baseball, but not until I was like, or I quit when I was 14. I mean, I always wanted to be a, I was either wanted to be a professional tennis player or a professional baseball player. All right. So baseball. I, baseball. Okay, baseball. There you go. <laughs> all right, man. That's all I got for you today, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm glad we were able to schedule this and basically have a real ass conversation for the listeners man because i think that we're yeah, man. what we talked is like super important not only for like high school recruits but also for like student athletes pro players and just people in general you know especially with this mental health thing because at the end of the day everyone has so has something in common and that is that we all feel so i think mental health is like mental health and the importance of it is like great yeah a hundred percent, man. I, I'm happy you had me on. I'm glad we worked it out. And uh, yeah, hopefully someone out there gets something positive from this uh, from this podcast. Yeah, thank you, man. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the D1 Only Podcast presented by TAP. And see you guys next time.